church, let's lift your hands, church. Just worship the King this morning. God, we magnify you. We glorify you. Lord, we surrender our problems. Lord, we surrender all of our efforts to fix our lives on our own. God, we surrender to you. Trust. God, I thank you that you are working with us, walking with us. God, we thank you that you are helping us. God, we magnify you. We worship you. We give you glory. God, we give you honor. Lord, I pray that this would be a day of change in the hearts and minds of everybody listening. God, I pray that those of us that are here with questions, those of us that are here because we think we're supposed to be and therefore we are bored, those that have questions about who you are, or those who question their faith, God, those who have problems with worship, struggle with the idea of an omnipotent, omniscient, loving God, trying to make sense of the problems in this world and they cannot, therefore they do not or cannot or struggle to worship you. God, I pray that you would answer deep, long-standing questions. God, help us to see you today by your Spirit. I pray, God, that our aloofness, that our indifference, that our callousness, God, even the ugliness that we display, like Psalm 73, Lord, when I was in a place of not knowing, I was brutish before you. God, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see the glory and the splendor of the King of Kings. God, every bored heart, every indifferent heart, every calloused heart, every wounded and struggling soul, God, that wants to know you but feels like they can't, God, open our eyes today. Set our hearts on fire with your truth. By the power of your Spirit, I pray today in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Willow. This, this morning and next Sunday, I want to talk about worship. You heard the way that I prayed. Uh, I meant every word of that. Um, growing up in a culture... That we, we have been blessed and in some ways disadvantaged to grow up in a Christian culture. We, for most of us that are alive, no matter how old you are, 
What I'm saying is, is that a Christian culture is a blessing because of the principles of God at work within the society. Those principles are uh, all throughout America's Constitution, but not just America's. You find them all over the place, all over the world, especially in Western culture. You find what you hear called Judeo-Christian values. Everybody's heard that phrase used Um, But it's really true, you dig in a little bit and you find out that even the folks like Thomas Jefferson, who was not a Christian, was absolutely influenced by Christian thought. To to think in our world that that Christianity is some mindless, um, blind faith is is to be, and I say this politely, utterly ignorant of the history of our world. Christianity provides a logical, reasonable, ontological understanding of our existence and why we are here. It is wonderful and it's a blessing to have a society that we grow up with with laws that reflect that or should. They don't always get equally done. They don't always get perfectly executed. We see evidence of that as well because mankind is sinful. But there's, a, there's another side of the coin. And the other side of the coin when we turn it over is the laziness and lackadaisical nature of human humanity is when you're surrounded by a good thing, you will 100% of the time take advantage of it and take it for granted. Is this correct? Let me tell you how this works. Uh, From very recent experience, you don't know how wonderful a hot shower is until you can't get one. How many of you experienced that over the past couple weeks? You don't realize the blessing of hot water until you only got cold water. Correct? This is partially why God uses difficulties to grow us in our faith uh, in Him because the sweetness of God's goodness is magnified against the backdrop of suffering and difficulty. That's a totally different sermon, but that's, that's what God does. But because our culture has been permeated with Christianese and Christian talk, in Christian churches, and because we've seen enough hypocrisy and enough failures of pastors, failures of leaders, failures of other Christians that are respected, because we've seen a lot of that, and we just kind of go along and everybody kind of has this vanilla, mediocre, lukewarm environment of Christianity that isn't really a vibrant, engaged passionate love of God. It's just a, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do kind of thing. When that happens in a culture, and it's happened in this one, when that happens, the majesty of who God is, the glory of who He is, the excitement that it should create is missing. Our our familiarity with who we think we know God to be, causes us to have blinders on to who He really is. C.S. Lewis, when he wrote 
in the Chronicles of Narnia, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite moments with the beavers, and I believe it's Lucy, as the beavers are describing Aslan, who is Jesus, and they are saying that it's a lion. Lucy, as a little kid, I picture Arwen, says, uh, talking about a lion, is he safe? And the beaver says, Heavens no, child! Have you not been listening to me? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. And in that, in that same book, you find out that when the kids get close to the lion, they are simultaneously scared but can't get enough of him. And that is just a thimbleful of what it means or should mean to us as Christians, that there should be holy awe at who God is. And there isn't. (laughs) There isn't. That's why that hymn, and we sang it last week, my heart is prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. God, give me grace to not wander away. Isaiah 6, I want you to hear and I want you to see, we're going to go back in time and then we're going to go into the future and then next week we're going to stay in the present. I want you to see the response of the prophet with a vision of who God is. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah's reaction to seeing the King causes him to say, Woe is me. In Hebrew he said, I am disintegrated. Woe is me. I am undone. And the reason he feels that is because he is in the presence of of holiness. Now this is where the scared but I can't get enough of it should be happening. When I prayed that if you are here today and bored with God, my prayer is the the cure for boredom is knowledge of who God is. Not what you think you know. Because I'm telling you, if you are bored with God, you don't know Him at all. Don't kid yourself. Don't lie to yourself. If you're bored, you do not know Him at all. Do not call yourself a Christian that's bored. You're not a Christian. You don't know Him. I know I sound crazy eyes right now, but I I am telling you, if you're bored, you don't know Him. Okay. Why Why am I getting all fired up? In Hebrew, holy, 
holy, holy. Now I'm just going to borrow from R.C. Sproul, and if anybody wants to go and learn a little bit more, you should go to Amazon.com before they ban this book called The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul, and there may not be a better book on the topic anywhere for people to read. That book is life-altering, and it's about this chapter. But he explains in that book that in the Hebrew language, to say holy, holy, holy is really ridiculous. And the reason for that is they don't use punctuation marks in Hebrew. The way that in Iraq, we would use an exclamation mark. If you ever get a text from Jennifer and there's not an exclamation mark, something is wrong. <laughs> so, I've actually, I think Courtney said once she got a text message from Jennifer and it didn't have an exclamation mark. She was like, had the call to make sure everything was okay. So exclamation marks are used a lot of different ways, but when we want to emphasize something, exclamation mark. If you really want to, really want to do it, you put a one or two or three, right? If you want to be goofy and silly and really go overboard, you might just fill up the page, right? And just fill them up. So in Hebrew, and you'll recognize this from the way Jesus talked. How many of you remember in the King James it will say, Verily, verily, I say unto you, right? That's truthfully, truthfully. Jesus is emphasizing, He is putting exclamation marks by repeating the phrase twice, and the intention is, in, in the Jewish culture, when you hear, verily, verily, truly, truly, listen. So, so in, in the attributes of God and who He is, that is the key to worship, is knowing who He is. Isaiah describes Him as holy, holy, now let's get ridiculous, holy. The angels are singing this. They are emphasizing and driving home who is God? God is holy. 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 To drive the point, who is He? He's holy. Now don't take what I'm about to say wrong, but listen to what I'm saying. It doesn't say loving, loving, loving. Though He is obviously loving, He is love. But we have so screwed that up, church, and turned love into something it is not biblically. We want love to mean whatever makes me feel good equals loving. And that is wrong. A loving God wouldn't do that. Yes, He would. He sent His own Son to die. That's what a loving God would do. Okay, well I like that. I don't like the, he sent a messenger of Satan to Paul as a thorn in the flesh. I'm not sure I, would a loving God do that? Yes, he, he did. Paul said in Galatians, I was with you because of a sickness at the first to preach the gospel. Would God do that? Yes, he would. Would a loving God send people to hell? Yes, he does and will. Because of this word here, He is holy, holy, holy. What does holy mean? Again, our culture messes us up. We think 
we use the phrase holier than thou. We use that in a negative sense, and what we're trying to say is, you think you're better than me. Isn't that what we're trying to communicate when somebody says holier than thou? Well, okay, some, there are people that have holier than thou attitudes. We could just call them Pharisees. That would be fine. Private joke. Sophie thought I called her a Pharisee in a sermon, so Sophie, I'm not talking about you. Okay. Holy means, please listen to this definition. Again, R.C. Sproul is incredibly helpful. Holiness does not just mean the perfection of God's actions. But this is where worship comes in. Holiness means God is other than. He is separated. There is no one or no thing like Him. He is utterly, completely unique. He is trans, transcendental, transcendentally unique. He transcends all definitions. There is not a way to define Him. You try, we try to use words to define Him, all for 10,000 tongues to sing His praise. We, we try, but God's holiness means He is totally separate, totally, utterly different than us. We're made in His image, but under no circumstances should you ever think that you are even close to who He is and what He is. He is the Almighty the king, the only potentate, according to Second Timothy, or sovereign over the whole universe, there is no one like him. No one can stay his hand. No one can thwart his purpose. No one can whisper in his ear and come up with something he's never heard. He is utterly unique. And these angels that are weird, they've got all these, trust me, when we get into Revelation, you'll see how weird they are. These angels are in this vision and they are above and they are calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Speaking of Revelation, we're going to do something totally different. I want you to go to Revelation 4. With these thoughts in mind, the reason we worship is because we are creatures and He is the Creator. We are the result of His will that He created us in His image. And we are made, as we're going to see later from 1 Peter, we are created to be His own people that declare His praise. By not, as a creature, not worshiping your Creator, you are broken. You are missing. You, there, there is a loss in the inside of you that you cannot fill with anything. I know you've heard that before, right? But the truth of the matter is, 
that if you are a creature and there is a Creator who made you to worship Him, if you are not doing it, you are broken and unsatisfied perpetually, forever. And you will be perpetually in rebellion, in hell, frustrated against your Creator for eternity if you do not surrender to Him now. Here, what worship is going to sound like, we are going into the future. Here, what worship sounds like, we are going to read Revelation 4 and Revelation 5. And I want it to just wash over you, and I want you to keep this in mind. Isaiah, it's about a thousand years ago. Well, no, no, excuse me, 3,000 years ago. We don't know when chapter 4 happens. But this is, this is John with a vision of the future. After this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God." And before the throne there was, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, there's a lot of symbolism in what we just read. There's a lot of interesting things going on. I'm not going to try to explain all of that. I want you to hear the connection in the future to Isaiah in the past same group of angels, a little more detailed, they're covered in eyeballs, have no idea how crazy that's going to look. But, they're saying the same thing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. God is eternal. He's always been. He always will be. He perpetually is now and always has been. And whenever, verse 9, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things and by Your will they existed and were created. Why do creatures worship? Because by His will they were created. By His will they existed. By His will they are sustained. 
By His will, He brought us forth. And as such, seeing this transcendent, holy, awesome Creator God, we worship. Why do I say that if you're bored, you don't know Him? Because this is knowing Him. This knowledge of His holiness, of His glory, of His power, is a part of knowing Him. Now, listen, let me, let me just say carefully that I myself have been bored within the last month with God. What do I do when I get there? I, I repent and say, God, help me to see you for who you are. Does that make everybody feel a little bit better? Just want to make, but my, my fear is, is that people who live in a perpetual state of boredom with God, in a perpetual state of callousness towards God, in a perpetual non-changing status of living in a Christian culture so they give this lip service to God, but their heart is totally disengaged from God. That is what I'm really coming against this morning. For us, for our, all of our sake, so that we will be worshipers of this God. Now, all of this is happening in the book of Revelation. It's in the future. This is what John is seeing. He's seeing worship in heaven. He is seeing what heaven is going to sound like. Now let's keep reading. Then I saw in the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne, so in the hand of God, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. So it's a scroll that goes seal, 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 seal. Seven seals. It's this big scroll and each seal pops off to reveal something new, and that's the seal judgments. We're not talking about that, but that's what he's holding. A scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it, and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. I want you to picture this. John is there. He sees on the throne God, which by the way, you notice he doesn't even describe what he looks like. doesn't even attempt to describe. He's describing everything around, the lightning, the emerald rainbows, the 24 elders around, these crazy looking angels with eyeballs. This is a crazy scene. But he doesn't even attempt to describe what God looks like. He does describe him holding this, this scroll with the seven seals. And John begins to weep because they can't find anybody worthy to open the scroll. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. Who, who is that? Jesus. So he, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. I just simply think that means authority and God's omniscience. Jesus knows everything. He sees everything. It's a lamb that for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe 
and language and people and nation. And You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. A new song is sung. And the song is, the Lamb is worthy because You ransomed people for God. I want you to notice that in the future, because if we keep going, you read about that there's a myriad of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Here they're singing the song about every tribe and language and people, group, and nation that God from every tribe, language, people, and nation has made a kingdom. How does God build a kingdom? He's got people from every single people group who have ever lived. They are a part of His kingdom. There are languages and people groups that are no longer in existence in the world. But they're here. God's got people from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. And in the future, we will be a part of this kingdom that's in the song, you have made them a kingdom and priests. So we are called priests that are ministering to God in worship. We are then a worshiping kingdom and that worshiping kingdom is unified not by language, not by tribe, not by skin color, not by nationality, not by any of those measurements. We are unified in Christ. Is this relevant in 2021? Lord, have mercy. Yes, it is relevant in 2021. There are so many theories out there about how to fix problems involving race, involving people groups, involving languages, involving immigration. And we've got all these political solutions and we need to be praying for our government and our officials. But the solutions that are offered are frequently things tied up in theories that do not come from Jesus. Critical race theory does not come from a Christian worldview. It it comes out of an idea that we need to make sure that we identify everybody as a group. So all white people are the same and all black people are the same and every if you're this kind of person then you are this kind of person. But instead, biblically the worldview is no, God has individuals that he brings out of a group and puts them into a new group and if you want a group identity, the group identity is Christ. He's the group identity. Now, as that is, if that is my basis, then I cannot be prejudiced, bigoted, racist. I cannot be these things. I cannot. I must not. I will not. If you are, quit. Is that simple enough? Just, just stop saying all black people are the same. Because they're not. And all white people are the same. They're not. Well, all southern Mingo County people are the same. No, actually they're not. But do you see what we, you see how we do that, right? Well, I know who you are, people group. And everybody is this way in that group. No, they are not. 
I speak for, I speak for all white people. Uh, no, I don't. I speak for all West Virginians. No, no, I don't. I, I, don't, e- I don't even speak for all Waynes. Amen. <laughs> well done, Daniel. I don't even speak for everybody at the house I live in. I mean, I try to. You are not going to be judged based on your group. You're going to be judged if you were pulled out of this group and put into the new group, which is the kingdom of priests to our God. Do you see what I'm getting at? You are going to be judged as an individual based on what you did with your life for the king. But you cannot, this works in both directions. This isn't a political thing, this is a, a biblical thing. Worship is the primary focus of the kingdom of God. It is the worship of God by the people of God. And the people of God, in His wisdom, in His sovereign, joyful wisdom, He said, I will have a totally diverse people group that make up my kingdom. It's not all white people. It's not all black people. It's not all Spanish people. It's not all name every group you can. It's a mixture of all these groups, and it's in one group, the body of Christ. And in the future, this is what we see. Do you know how radical this was for them to even think this way? Do you think racial tension is a new thing? Well, the way we define it is different. But good night almighty, guess guess what is a common thread throughout all the history of the world? Bloodshed and war. Constantly. It hasn't stopped. The 20th century was the bloodiest century in the history of the world. There was a guy in the 1940s who thought he would have a final solution, and then that solution was to eliminate a people group. Hitler wanted to destroy all the Jews. Is this correct? His idea was an ethnic racial cleansing. Back in the 90s, uh, there was an ethnic cleansing several different times in the continent of Africa where one tribe wanted to eliminate another tribe. I talked to Sammy Guattari about this. Actually, Sammy Guattari said something very interesting to me. For, he's a pastor in Nairobi. He said, your racism is cute. That's what he told me in so many words. He said, in Africa, we, we are actively killing other tri- tribal members. Just a- actively doing it. Now, he wasn't. He's just saying that 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 was an issue. He said the hatred goes back hundreds and in some cases maybe longer, maybe even thousands of years of tribes at war that hate each other. In Christ, what happens when a member of your group and this group who have historically hated each other, what happens when you become a Christian? What do you do with those hatreds? What, What do you do? They die on the cross with Jesus. That's what you do with them. They die. I am not going to look at people as all the same. They aren't. I'm going to look at people in Christ. And that is what Revelation is telling me. From every tribe and language and people and nation, not every single individual in those groups, but from those groups, from every cornucopia of humanity, you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. 
worship worshipers. And they shall reign on the earth. This is, this is a future event. I'm not going to try to explain all that because I'm not sure I understand it all. How, how are we going to reign with Christ? Are we going to reign with Christ? The Bible says we will reign with Christ. What does that exactly mean? I, I don't know. I've heard theories. We're not going to talk about this today. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Have you ever heard those words in a song? Do we have any worship songs, any hymns that got this language in it? Now, I, my question has always been, how do you give Jesus uh, wealth? Does He need any wealth? No. It, it is a way of saying, everything that we've got belongs to you. We got any wealth? It's yours. We got any power? It's yours. Is there any blessing? It's yours. Is there any glory? It's yours. Is there anything? It's yours. It's yours. It's you. You are the focus of everything. Worthy is the Lamb. That is what worship is. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Heaven is going to be filled with worship. When I was a kid, I was so disappointed with this. Anybody else? Because, as a kid, I was bored out of my mind why all the adults kept singing and singing and singing and singing and singing. At least when Pastor Tony started preaching, it was interesting. The singing, I didn't like it. I was like, oh my gosh. Am I the only one? Is nobody brave enough to raise their hands and say, yes, that's how I felt too, or that's how I feel this morning? Don't raise your hand, Hannah, I saw that. <laughs> worship, this worship of a holy God, of people, church, when you see Him in heaven, when John sees Him, what does He do? He just falls on the ground, face first. When you encounter God, there is, there is no boredom. There is no callousness. There is a trembling, fearful, oh my gosh. And there, there is in worship for us and should be experiences we have with God. I'm not asking you to seek experiences. I'm asking you to seek God. But in the seeking of God, our hearts should be overwhelmed. Not every single day. I'm, I'm not trying to create some weird version of Christianity. I'm saying that Christians should taste and experience 
and know moments of holy awe before God. I've had several moments like that in my life where the presence and the nearness of God overwhelmed me. God's goodness, God's presence, His power. It's not merely a feeling of religiosity. It is a knowing that I am in contact with the holy, holy, holy King of the universe. It is a feeling of being next to Aslan the lion and knowing that he has the power to bite my head off. But doesn't. But he could. But he hasn't. But I want to be close. In the future, when we are in heaven, there will be no boredom and there will be no disappointment in the songs that are sung. This, how many of you have had experiences with music that moved you? And you had, raise your hand if a song has given you goosebumps. I want to see all the hands. A song's given you goosebumps. Johnny Cash, when the man comes around, gives me goosebumps every time I hear it. Now, I'm not going to lie, and don't judge me, I'm just giving this as an example. The first time I heard Eminem song, I'm not, just, this is a long time ago, I'm not recommending you go buy an album, please, that is not what I'm saying, because it's... But the first time I heard the song, uh, I can't even remember, the Lose Yourself. The first time I heard that song and the chorus, and as it builds and the story is clear, I got goosebumps. It was really, really well done. So goosebumps and songs clearly don't necessarily mean it's God. Right? Because there's nothing in Lose Yourself by Eminem that is glorifying to Jesus. But my point is, music can have these moments... How many of you have cried listening to a song? Anybody at all? Okay, you've cried? Anybody ever laughed? Charlie Daniels has some songs that have made me laugh. Kicked old green teeth in the knee, if anybody's... Okay. Um, anyway, when we go to heaven... And there is this singing and this shouting and this... It will be the kind of experience that is beyond our comprehension. It, the, the worship will reverberate through our souls. The worship of God in the knowing presence of God will, will be the antithesis of boredom. It will be the culmination of the reason we exist. It will be incredible. And what I want to get at for next week is that our worship here is a foretaste of this future worship that we see here. Our worship here is a foretaste of that and our worship is not confined to the three four songs that they do on Sunday morning. And I want to show that this kind of worship that you're seeing described, this ultimate culmination of worship in Revelation, 
is a present tense reality now for us as Christians living for Him. And I'm going to stop here because we are going to talk about that next week. Next week, we are going to pick up from this and go into the present tense worship that God calls us to live as well as sing. Praise the Lord. I want everybody to stand up with me. My prayer at the beginning was that if you're bored, if you're calloused, if you're struggling, if you're distant, but at the very least you would hear something in those Scriptures about the holiness of God and the worthiness of God. That it would give you a context for why we worship. If you're still struggling, I'm going to pray right now. But I want you to pray with me and say, God, I I want to know You. I do not want to live in a bored, frustrated, religious life. I want to know You. I want to be like John, who when the scroll, nobody was found worthy, that I would weep over that. What would make you weep over that? Let's pray. Father, we come to You in the name of Jesus and we thank You for this day. We thank You for Your Word. I thank You, God, for outlining for us what the future of worship is going to look like with all of Your people, every tribe, every tongue, every people group, every nation throughout all of history together, a kingdom of priests giving glory to You. God, I pray that You would give us a foretaste of that glory divine that is to come God, that You would provoke us to worship and that we would see You for who You are so that we would worship You in spirit and in truth. Not out of our imaginations or out of rote practice, but God, we would worship You because we know You. God, where we don't know You, God, do something in us this week. Do something now so that we would start to know You. God, we thank You for it. We give You glory for it. I pray that You would do healing work in every heart as we approach You and Your throne of grace freely because of the blood of Jesus that purchased that road to You. We thank You for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Church, you are officially dismissed. You can give through the app or you can give up here up front. We'll see you tonight for prayer.